Introduction of The Wolf Leader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. The Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas. Translated by Alfred Allenson. 1852-1929. Introduction. Although the introductory chapters were not signed until May 31st, 1856, the Wolf Leader is to be associated in conception with the group of romances which Dumas wrote at Brussels between the years 1852 and 1854, that is to say, after his financial failure and the consequent defection of his collaborator Maquet, and before his return to Paris to found his journal La Mousquetaire. Like Conscience L'Innocent and Catherine Bloom, which date from that period of exile, the present story was inspired by reminiscences of our author's native place, villers Cotterets, in the department of the Eisne. In The Wolf Leader, Dumas, however, allows his imagination and fancy full play, using a legend told to him nearly half a century before, conjuring up the scenes of his boyhood and calling into requisition his wonderful gift of improvisation, he contrives in the happiest way to weave a romance in which are combined a weird tale of diablerie and continual delightful glimpses of forest life. Terror, woodcraft, and humor could not be more felicitously intermingled. The reader, while kept under the spell of the main theme of the story, experiences all the charm of an open-air life in the great forest of villers Cotterets, the forest in which the little town seemed to occupy a small clearing and into which the boy alexander occasionally escaped for days together from the irksome routine of the school or from the hands of relatives who wanted to make a priest of him thus dumas the most impressionable of men all his life remained grateful to the forest for the poetic fancies derived from its beauty and the mysteries of its recesses as well as for the hiding places it afforded him and for the game and birds which he soon learnt to shoot and snare there listen to his indignation at the destruction of the trees in the neighboring park we quote from his memoirs that park planted by francois the first was cut down by louis philippe beautiful trees under whose shade once reclined francois the first and madame de tampe henri the second and diana of poitiers henri the fourth and gabriella you had a right to believe that a bourbon would have respected you and that you would have lived your long life the life of beech trees and oaks that the birds would have warbled on your branches when green and leafy but over and above your inestimable value of poetry and memories you had unhappily a material value you beautiful beeches with your polished silvery cases you beautiful oaks with your sombre wrinkled bark you were worth a hundred thousand crowns the king of france who with his six millions of private revenue was too poor to keep you the king of france sold you for my part had you been my sole fortune i would have preserved you for poet as i am there is one thing that i would set before all the gold of the earth and that is the murmur of the wind in your leaves the shadow that you made to flicker beneath my feet the sweet visions the charming phantoms which at evening time betwixt the day and night in twilight's doubtful hour would glide between your age-long trunks as glide the shadows of the ancient abencerages amid the thousand columns of cordova's royal mosque who mocquet was and how this tale became known to the narrator part one 
why i ask myself during those first twenty years of my literary life from eighteen twenty seven to eighteen forty seven did i so rarely turn my eyes and thoughts towards the little town where i was born towards the woods amid which it lies embowered and the villages that cluster round it how was it that during all that time the world of my youth seemed to me to have disappeared as if hidden behind a cloud whilst the future which lay before me shone clear and resplendent like those magic islands which columbus and his companions mistook for baskets of flowers floating on the sea alas simply because during the first twenty years of our life we have hope for our guide and during the last twenty reality from the hour when weary with our journey we ungird ourselves and dropping the traveller's staff sit down by the wayside we begin to look back over the road that we have traversed for it is the way ahead that now is dark and misty and so we turn and gaze into the depths of the past then with the wide desert awaiting us in front we are astonished as we look along the path which we have left behind to catch sight of first one and then another of those delicious oases of verdure and shade beside which we never thought of lingering for a moment and which indeed we had passed by almost without notice but then how quickly our feet carried us along in those days we were in such a hurry to reach that goal of happiness to which no road has ever yet brought any one of us it is at this point that we begin to see how blind and ungrateful we have been it is now that we say to ourselves if we could but once more come across such a green and wooded resting place we would stay there for the rest of our lives would pitch our tent there and there end our days but the body cannot go back and renew its existence and so memory has to make its pious pilgrimage alone back to the early days and fresh beginnings of life it travels like those light vessels that are borne upward by their white sails against the current of a river then the body once more pursues its journey but the body without memory is as the night without stars as the lamp without its flame and so body and memory go their several ways the body with chance for its guide moves towards the unknown memory that bright will-o'-the-wisp hovers over the landmarks that are left behind and memory we may be sure will not lose her way every oasis is revisited every association recalled and then with a rapid flight she returns to the body that grows ever more and more weary and like the humming of a bee like the song of a bird like the murmur of a stream tells the tale of all that she has seen and as the tired traveller listens his eyes grow bright again his mouth smiles and a light steals over his face for providence and kindness seeing that he cannot return to youth allows youth to return to him and ever after he loves to repeat aloud what memory tells him in her soft low voice and is our life then bounded by a circle like the earth do we unconsciously continue to walk towards the spot from which we started and as we travel nearer and nearer to the grave do we again draw closer ever closer to the cradle part two i cannot say but what happened to myself that much at any rate i know at my first halt along the road of life my first glance backwards i began by relating the tale of bernard and his uncle bertoline then the story of Anja Betou, his fair fiancée, and of Aunt Angelique. After that I told of Conscience and Marietta, and lastly of Catherine Bloom and Father Vatrin. I am now going to tell you the story of Tybalt and his wolves, and of the Lord of Vez. 
and how you will ask did i become acquainted with the events which i am now about to bring before you i will tell you have you read my memoirs and do you remember one by name moquet who was a friend of my father's if you have read them you will have some vague recollection of this personage if you have not read them you will not remember anything about him at all in either case then it is of the first importance that i should bring moquet clearly before your mind's eye as far back as i can remember that is when i was about three years of age we lived my father and mother and i in a little chateau called les fosses situated on the boundary that separates the departments of Eisne and Oise, between Haramont and Longpre. The little house in question had doubtless been named Le Fosse, on account of the deep and broad moat filled with water with which it was surrounded. I do not mention my sister, for she was at school in Paris, and we only saw her once a year when she was home for a month's holiday. The household, apart from my father, mother, and myself, consisted firstly of a large black dog called trufa who was a privileged animal and made welcome wherever he appeared more especially as i regularly went about on his back secondly of a gardener named pierre who kept me amply provided with frogs and snakes two species of living creatures in which i was particularly interested thirdly of a negro a valet of my father's named hippolyte a sort of black merry andrew whom my father i believe only kept that he might be well primed with anecdotes wherewith to gain the advantage in his encounters with brunel and beat his wonderful stories fourthly of a keeper named moquet for whom i had a great admiration seeing that he had magnificent stories to tell of ghosts and werewolves to which i listened every evening and which were abruptly broken off the instant the general as my father was usually called appeared on the scene fifthly of a cook who answered to the name of marie but this figure i can no longer recall it is lost to me in the misty twilight of life i remember only the name as given to someone of whom but a shadowy outline remains in my memory and about whom as far as i recollect there was nothing of a very poetic character moquet however is the only person that need occupy our attention for the present let me try to make him known to you both as regards his personal appearance and his character part three moquet was a man of about forty years of age short thick-set broad of shoulder and sturdy of leg his skin was burnt brown by the sun his eyes were small and piercing his hair grizzled and his black whiskers met under his chin in a half circle as i look back his figure rises before me wearing a three-cornered hat and clad in a green waistcoat with silver buttons velveteen cord breeches and high leathern gaiters with a game bag over his shoulder his gun in his hand and a cutty pipe in his mouth let us pause for a moment to consider this pipe for this pipe grew to be not merely an accessory but an integral part of moquet nobody could remember ever having seen moquet without it if by any chance moquet did not happen to have it in his mouth he had it in his hand this pipe having to accompany moquet into the heart of the thickest coverts it was necessary that it should be of such a kind as to offer the least possible opportunity to any other solid body of bringing about its destruction for the destruction of his old well-coloured cutty would have been to moquet a loss that years alone could have repaired therefore the stem of moquet's pipe was not more than half an inch long moreover you might always wager that half that half inch at least was supplied by the quill of a feather this habit of never being without his pipe which by causing the almost entire disappearance of both canines 
had hollowed out a sort of vice for itself on the left side of his mouth between the fourth incisor and the first molar had given rise to another of moquet's habits this was to speak with his teeth clenched whereby a certain impression of obstinacy was conveyed by all he said this became even more marked if moquet chanced at any moment to take his pipe out of his mouth for there was nothing then to prevent the jaws closing and the teeth coming together in a way which prevented the words passing through them at all except in a sort of whistle which was hardly intelligible such was moquet with respect to outward appearance in the following pages i will endeavour to give some idea of his intellectual capacity and moral qualities part four early one morning before my father had risen moquet walked into his room and planted himself at the foot of the bed stiff and upright as a signpost well moquet said my father what's the matter now what gives me the pleasure of seeing you here at this early hour the matter is general replied moquet with the utmost gravity the matter is that i am nightmared moquet had quite unawares to himself enriched the language with a double verb both active and passive you are nightmared responded my father raising himself on his elbow dear dear that's a serious matter my poor moquet you are right there general and moquet took his pipe out of his mouth a thing he did rarely and only on the most important occasions and how long have you been nightmared continued my father compassionately for a whole week general and who by moquet ah i know very well who by answered moquet through his teeth which were so much the more tightly closed that his pipe was in his hand and his hand behind his back and may i also know by whom by mother durant of harrimont who as you will have heard is an old witch no indeed i assure you i had no idea of such a thing ah but i know it well enough i've seen her riding past on her broomstick to her witch's sabbath you have seen her go by on her broomstick as plainly as i see you general and more than that she has an old black billy goat at home that she worships and why should she come and nightmare you to revenge herself on me because i came upon her once at midnight on the heath of gondreville when she was dancing round and round in her devil's circle this is a most serious accusation which you bring against her my friend and before repeating to any one what you have been telling me in private i think it would be as well if you tried to collect some more proofs proofs what more proofs do i want does not every soul in the village know that in her youth she was the mistress of tybalt the wolf leader indeed i must look carefully into this matter moquet i am looking very carefully into it myself and she shall pay for it the old mole old mole was an expression that moquet had borrowed from his friend pierre the gardener who as he had no worse enemies to deal with than moles gave the name of mole to everything and everybody that he particularly detested section five i must look carefully into this matter these words were not said by my father by reason of any belief he had in the truth of moquet's tale about his nightmare and even the fact of the nightmare being admitted by him he gave no credence to the idea that it was mother durant who had nightmared the keeper far from it but my father was not ignorant of the superstitions of the people and he knew that belief in spells was still widespread among the peasantry in the country districts 
he had heard of terrible acts of revenge carried out by the victims on some man or woman who they thought had bewitched them in the belief that the charm would thus be broken and moquet while he stood denouncing mother durant to my father had had such an accent of menace in his voice and had given such a grip to his gun that my father thought it wise to appear to agree with everything he said in order to gain his confidence and so prevent him doing anything without first consulting him so thinking that he had so far gained an influence over moquet my father ventured to say but before you make her pay for it my good moquet you ought to be quite sure that no one can cure you of your nightmare no one can cure me general replied moquet in a tone of conviction how no one able to cure you no one i have tried the impossible and how did you try first of all i drank a large bowl of hot wine before going to bed and who recommended that remedy was it monsieur lacasse monsieur lacasse was the doctor in repute at villers cotterets monsieur lacasse exclaimed moquet no indeed what should he know about spells by my faith no it was not monsieur lacasse who was it then it was the shepherd of longpre but a bowl of wine you dunderhead why you must have been dead drunk the shepherd drank half of it i see now i understand why he prescribed it and did the bowl of wine have any effect not any general she came trampling over my chest that night just as if i had taken nothing and what did you do next you are not obliged i suppose to limit your efforts to your bowl of hot wine i did what i do when i want to catch a wily beast moquet made use of a phraseology which was all his own no one had ever succeeded in inducing him to say a wild beast every time my father said wild beast moquet would answer yes general i know a wily beast you still stick to your wily beast then my father said to him on one occasion yes general but not out of obstinacy and why then may i ask because general with all due respect to you you are mistaken about it mistaken i how because you ought to not say a wild beast but a wily beast and what is a wily beast moquet it is an animal that only goes about at night that is an animal that creeps into the pigeon houses and kills the pigeons like the polecat or into the chicken houses to kill the chickens like the fox or into the folds to kill the sheep like the wolf it means an animal which is cunning and deceitful in short a wily beast it was impossible to find anything to say after such a logical definition as this my father therefore remained silent and moquet feeling that he had gained a victory continued to call wild beasts wily beasts utterly unable to understand my father's obstinacy in continuing to call wily beasts wild beasts so now you understand why when my father asked him what else he had done moquet answered i did what i do when i want to catch a wily beast we have interrupted the conversation to give this explanation but as there was no need of explanation between my father and moquet they had gone on talking you must understand without any such break section six and what is it you do moquet when you want to catch this animal of yours asked my father i said a trarp general moquet always called a trap a trarp 
do you mean to tell me you have set a trap to catch mother durant my father had of course said trap but mulcay did not like anyone to pronounce words differently from himself so he went on just so general i have set a trap for mother durant and where have you put your trap outside your door my father you see was willing to make concessions outside my door much good that would be i only know she gets into my room but i cannot even guess which way she comes down the chimney perhaps there is no chimney and besides i never see her until i feel her and you do see her then as plainly i see you general and what does she do nothing agreeable you may be sure she tramples all over my chest thud thud thump thump well where have you set your trap then the trarp why i put it on my own stomach and what kind of trarp did you use oh a first-rate trarp what was it the one i made to catch the gray wolf with that used to kill monsieur destournel's sheep not such a first-rate one then for the gray wolf ate up your bait and then bolted you know why he was not caught general no i do not because it was the black wolf that belonged to old tybalt the sabot maker it could not have been tybalt's black wolf for you said yourself just this moment that the wolf that used to come and kill monsieur destournel's sheep was a gray one he is gray now general but thirty years ago when tybalt the sabot maker was alive he was black and to assure you of the truth of this look at my hair which was black as a raven's thirty years ago and now is as gray as the doctor's the doctor was a cat an animal of some fame that you will find mentioned in my memoirs and known as the doctor on account of the magnificent fur which nature had given it for a coat yes replied my father i know your tale about tybalt the sabot maker but if the black wolf is the devil mulcay as you say he is he would not change color not at all general only it takes him a hundred years to become quite white and the last midnight of every hundred years he turns black as a coal again i give up the case then mulcay all i ask is that you will not tell my son this fine tale of yours until he is fifteen at least and why general because it is no use stuffing his mind with nonsense of that kind until he is old enough to laugh at wolves whether they are white gray or black it shall be as you say general he shall hear nothing of this matter go on then where had we got to general we had got to your trarp which you had put on your stomach and you were saying that it was a first-rate trarp by my faith general that was a first-rate trarp it weighed a good ten pounds what am i saying fifteen pounds at least with its chain i put the chain over my wrist and what happened that night that night why it was worse than ever generally it was in her leather overshoes she came and kneaded my chest but that night she came in her wooden sabots and she comes like this every blessed one of god's knights and it is making me quite thin you can see for yourself general i am growing as thin as a lathe however this morning i made up my mind and what did you decide upon mocquet well then i made up my mind i would let fly at her with my gun that was a wise decision to come to and when do you think of carrying it out this evening or tomorrow at latest general 
confound it and just as i was wanting to send you over to villers hellong that won't matter general was it something that you wanted done at once yes at once very well then i can go over to villers hellong it's not above a few miles if i go through the wood and get back here this evening the journey both ways is only twenty-four miles and we have covered a few more than that before now out shooting general that's settled then i will write a letter for you to give to monsieur collard and then you can start i will start general without a moment's delay my father rose and wrote to monsieur collard the letter was as follows my dear collard i am sending you that idiot of a keeper of mine whom you know he has taken into his head that an old woman nightmares him every night and to rid himself of this vampire he intends nothing more nor less than to kill her justice however might not look favorably on this method of his for curing himself of indigestion and so i am going to start him off to you on a pretext of some kind or other will you also on some pretext or other send him on as soon as he gets to you to don ray at vouti who will send him on to dululoy who with or without pretext may then as far as i care send him on to the devil in short he must be kept going for a fortnight at least by that time we shall have moved out of here and shall be at antilly and as he will then no longer be in the district of Haramont, and as his nightmare will probably have left him on the way mother durant will be able to sleep in peace which i should certainly not advise her to do if moquet were remaining anywhere in her neighborhood he is bringing you six brace of snipe and a hare which we shot while out yesterday on the marshes of value a thousand and one of my tenderest remembrances to the fair hermione and as many kisses to the dear little caroline your friend alex dumas an hour later moquet was on his way and at the end of three weeks he rejoined us at antilly well asked my father seeing him reappear in robust health well and how about mother durant well general replied moquet cheerfully i've got rid of the old mole it seems she has no power except in her own district. Section 7 Twelve years have passed since Moquet's nightmare, and I was now over fifteen years of age. It was the winter of 1817 to 1818, ten years before that date I had, alas, lost my father. We no longer had Pierre for gardener, a Hippolyte for valet, or a Moquet for keeper. We no longer lived at the Chateau of Les Fossés or in the villa at antilly but in the market-place of villers cotterets in a little house opposite the fountain where my mother kept a bureau de tabac selling powder and shot as well over the same counter as you have already read in my memoirs although still young i was an enthusiastic sportsman as far as sport went however that is according to the usual acceptation of the word i had none except when my cousin monsieur de Voilaine, the ranger of the forest at villers cotterets was kind enough to ask leave of my mother to take me with him i filled up the remainder of my time with poaching for this double function of sportsman and poacher i was well provided with a delightful single-barreled gun on which was engraven the monogram of the princess borghese to whom it had originally belonged my father had given it me when i was a child and when after his death everything had to be sold i implored so urgently to be allowed to keep my gun that it was not sold with the other weapons and the horses and carriages the most enjoyable time for me was the winter 
then the snow lay on the ground and the birds in their search for food were ready to come wherever grain was sprinkled for them some of my father's old friends had fine gardens and i was at liberty to go and shoot the birds there as i liked so i used to sweep the snow away spread some grain and hiding myself with an easy gunshot fire at the birds sometimes killing six eight or even ten at a time then if the snow lasted there was another thing to look forward to the chance of chasing a wolf to its lair and a wolf so traced was everybody's property the wolf being a public enemy a murderer beyond the pale of the law might be shot at by all or any one and so in spite of my mother's cries who dreaded the double danger for me you need not ask if i seized my gun and was first on the spot ready for sport the winter of eighteen seventeen eighteen eighteen had been long and severe the snow was lying a foot deep on the ground and so hard frozen that it had held for a fortnight past and still there were no tidings of anything towards four o'clock one afternoon mocquet called upon us he had come to lay in his stock of powder while so doing he looked at me and winked with one eye when he went out i followed what is it mocquet i asked tell me can't you guess monsieur alexander no mocquet you don't guess then that if i come and buy powder here from madame your mother instead of going to harremont for it in short if i walk three miles instead of only a quarter that distance that i might possibly have a bit of a shoot to propose to you oh you good mocquet and what and where there's a wolf monsieur alexander not really he carried off one of monsieur d'estournel's sheep last night i have traced him to the tillet woods and what then why then i am certain to see him again tonight and shall find out where his lair is and tomorrow morning we'll finish his business for him oh this is luck only we must first ask leave of whom mocquet leave of madame all right come in then we will ask her at once my mother had been watching us through the window she suspected that some plot was hatching between us i have no patience with you mocquet she said as we went in you have no sense or discretion in what way madam asked mocquet to go exciting him in the way you do he thinks too much of sport as it is nay madame it is with him as with dogs of breed his father was a sportsman he is a sportsman and his son will be a sportsman after him you must make up your mind to that and supposing some harm should come to him harm come to him with me with mocquet no indeed i will answer for it with my own life that he shall be safe harm happened to him to him the general's son never 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 but my poor mother shook her head i went to her and flung my arms round her neck mother dearest i cried please let me go you will load his gun for him then mocquet have no fear sixty grains of powder not a grain more or less and a twenty to the pound bullet and you will not leave him i will stay by him like his shadow you will keep him near you between my legs i give him into your sole charge mocquet and he shall be given back to you safe and sound now monsieur alexander gather up your traps and let us be off your mother has given her permission you are not taking him away this evening mocquet i must madame to-morrow morning will be too late to fetch him we must hunt the wolf at dawn the wolf it is for a wolf hunt that you are asking for him to go with you are you afraid that the wolf will eat him mocquet mocquet 
but when i tell you that i will be answerable for everything and where will the poor child sleep with father Marquet, of course he will have a good mattress laid on the floor and sheets white as those which god has spread over the fields and two good warm coverlids i promise you that he shall not catch cold i shall be all right mother you may be sure now then Marquet, i am ready and you don't even give me a kiss you poor boy you indeed yes dear mother and a good many more than one and i threw myself on my mother's neck stifling her with my caresses as i clasped her in my arms and when shall i see you again oh do not be uneasy if he does not return before to-morrow evening how to-morrow evening and you spoke of starting at dawn at dawn for the wolf but if we miss him the lad must have a shot or two at the wild ducks on the marshes of Valu. i see you are going to drown him for me by the name of all that's good madam if i was not speaking to the general's widow i should say what Marquet? what would you say that you will make nothing but a wretched milksop of your boy if the general's mother had been always behind him pulling at his coat-tails as you are behind this child he would never even have had the courage to cross the sea to france you are right Marquet. take him away i am a poor fool and my mother turned aside to wipe away a tear a mother's tear that heart's diamond more precious than all the pearls of ophir i saw it running down her cheek i ran to the poor woman and whispered to her mother if you like i will stay at home no no go my child she said Marquet is right you must sooner or later learn to be a man i gave her another last kiss then i ran after Marquet, who had already started after i had gone a few paces i looked round my mother had run into the middle of the road that she might keep me in sight as long as possible it was my turn now to wipe away a tear how now said Marquet, you crying too monsieur alexander nonsense Marquet. it's only the cold makes my eyes run but thou o god who gavest me that tear thou knowest that it was not because of the cold that i was crying section eight it was pitch dark when we reached Marquet's house. We had a savory omelet and stewed rabbit for supper, and then Marquet made my bed ready for me. He kept his word to my mother, for I had a good mattress, two white sheets, and two good warm coverlids. Now, said Marquet, tuck yourself in there and go to sleep. We may probably have to be off at four o'clock tomorrow morning. At any hour you like, Marquet. Yes, I know you are a capital riser overnight and tomorrow morning i shall have to throw a jug of cold water over you to make you get up you are welcome to do that Marquet, if you have to call me twice well we'll see about that are you in a hurry to go to sleep Marquet? why whatever do you want me to do at this hour of night i thought perhaps Marquet, you would tell me one of those stories that i used to find so amusing when i was a child and who is going to get up for me at two o'clock tomorrow if i sit telling you tales till midnight our good priest perhaps you are right Marquet. it's fortunate that you think so so i undressed and went to bed five minutes later Marquet was snoring like a bass viol i turned and twisted for a good two hours before i could get to sleep how many sleepless nights have i not passed on the eve of the first shoot of the season at last towards midnight fatigue gained the mastery over me 
a sudden sensation of cold awoke me with a start at four o'clock in the morning i opened my eyes mocquet had thrown my bedclothes off over the foot of the bed and was standing beside me leaning both hands on his gun his face beaming out upon me as at every fresh puff of his short pipe the light from it illuminated his features well how have you got on mocquet he has been tracked to his lair the wolf and who tracked him this foolish old mocquet bravo but guess where he has chosen to take cover this most accommodating of good wolves where was it then mocquet if i gave you a hundred chances you wouldn't guess in the three oaks covert we've got him then i should rather think so the three oaks covert is a patch of trees and undergrowth about two acres in extent situated in the middle of the plain of largny about five hundred paces from the forest and the keepers i went on all had notice sent them replied moquet moynat milday vatrin lafoye all the best shots in short are waiting in readiness just outside the forest you and i with monsieur charpentier from valu monsieur hocadet from largny monsieur destournel from les fosses are to surround the covert the dogs will be slipped the field keeper will go with them and we shall have him that's certain you'll put me in a good place moquet haven't i said that you will be near me but you must get up first that's true Brr. and i'm going to have pity on your youth and put a bundle of wood in the fireplace i didn't dare ask for it but on my word of honor it will be kind of you if you will moquet went out and brought in an armful of wood from the timber yard and threw it on to the hearth poking it down with his foot then he threw a lighted match amongst the twigs and in another moment the clear bright flames were dancing and crackling up the chimney i went and sat on the stool by the fireside i there dressed myself you may be sure that i was not long over my toilet even moquet was astonished at my celerity now then he said a drop of this and then off and saying this he filled two small glasses with a yellowish colored liquor which did not require any tasting on my part to recognize you know i never drink brandy moquet ah you are your father's son all over what will you have then nothing moquet nothing you know the proverb leave the house empty the devil will be there believe me you had better put something into your stomach while i load your gun for i must keep my promise to that poor mother of yours well then i will have a crust of bread and a glass of pignolet pignolet is a light wine made in non-wine growing districts generally said to require three men to drink it one to drink and two to hold him i was however pretty well accustomed to pignolet and could drink it up without help so i swallowed my glass of wine while moquet loaded my gun what are you doing moquet i asked him making a cross on your bullet he replied as you will be near me we shall probably let fly together and although i know you would give me up your share still for the glory of it it will be as well to know which of us killed him if the wolf falls so mind you aim straight i'll do my best moquet here's your gun then loaded for bird shooting and now gun over your shoulder and off we start section nine the meeting place was on the road leading to chauvigny here we found the keepers and some of the huntsmen and within another ten minutes those who were missing had also joined us before five o'clock struck our number was complete 
and then we held a council of war to decide our further proceedings it was finally arranged that we should first take up our position round the three oaks covert at some considerable distance from it and then gradually advance so as to form a cordon round it everything was to be done with the utmost silence it being well known that wolves decamp on hearing the slightest noise each of us was ordered to look carefully along the path he followed to make quite sure that the wolf had not left the covert meanwhile the field-keeper was holding moquet's hounds in leash one by one we took our stand facing the covert on the spot to which our particular path had conducted us as it happened moquet and i found ourselves on the north side of the warren which was parallel with the forest moquet had rightly said that we should be in the best place for the wolf would in all probability try and make for the forest and so would break covert on our side of it we took our stand each in front of an oak tree fifty paces apart from one another and then we waited without moving and hardly daring to breathe the dogs on the farther side of the warren were now uncoupled they gave two short barks and were then silent the keeper followed them into the covert calling hello as he beat the trees with his stick but the dogs their eyes starting out of their heads lips drawn back and their coats bristling remained as if nailed to the ground nothing would induce them to move a step farther Halloa, moquet cried the keeper this wolf of yours must be an extra plucky one rocador and tombella refused to tackle him but moquet was too wise to make any answer for the sound of his voice would have warned the wolf that there were enemies in that direction the keeper went forward still beating the trees the two dogs after him cautiously advancing step by step without a bark only now and then giving a low growl all of the sudden there was a loud exclamation from the keeper who called out i nearly trod on his tail the wolf the wolf look out moquet look out and at that moment something came rushing towards us and the animal leapt out of the covert passing between us like a flash of lightning it was an enormous wolf nearly white with age moquet turned and sent two bullets after him i saw them bound and rebound along the snow shoot shoot he called out to me only then did i bring my gun to my shoulder i took aim and fired the wolf made a movement as if he wanted to bite his shoulder we have him we have him cried moquet the lad has hit his mark success to the innocent but the wolf ran on making straight for moynat and milday the two best shots in the country road both of their first shots were fired at him in the open the second after he had entered the forest the two first bullets were seen to cross one another and ran along the ground sending up spurts of snow the wolf had escaped them both but he had no doubt been struck down by the others that the two keepers who had just fired should miss their aim was an unheard-of thing i had seen moynat kill seventeen snipe one after the other i had seen milday cut a squirrel in two as he was jumping from tree to tree the keepers went into the forest after the wolf we looked anxiously towards the spot where they had disappeared we saw them reappear dejected and shaking their heads well cried moquet interrogatively bah answered milday with an impatient movement of his arm he's at taille fontaine by this time at taille fontaine exclaimed moquet completely taken aback what the fools have gone and missed him then well what of that you missed him yourself did you not moquet shook his head well well there's some devilry about this he said that i should miss him was surprising 
but it was perhaps possible but that moynat should have shot twice and missed him is not possible no i say no nevertheless so it is my good Marquet. besides you you hit him he said to me i are you sure we others may well be ashamed to say it but as sure as my name is Marquet, you hit the wolf well it's easy to find out if i did hit him there would be blood on the snow come Marquet, let us run and see and suiting the action to the word i set off running stop stop do not run whatever you do cried Marquet, clenching his teeth and stamping we must go quietly until we know better what we have to deal with well we will go quietly then but at any rate let us go Marquet then began to follow the wolf's track step by step there's not much fear of losing it i said it's plain enough yes but that's not what i'm looking for what are you looking for then you will know in a minute or two the other huntsmen had now joined us and as they came along after us the keeper related to them what had taken place meanwhile Marquet and i continued to follow the wolf's footprints which were deeply indented in the snow at last we came to the spot where he had received my fire there Marquet, i said to him you see i did miss him after all how do you know that you missed him because there are no blood marks well, look for the mark of your bullet then in the snow i looked to see which way my bullet would have sped if it had not hit the wolf and then went in that direction but i tracked for more than a quarter of a mile to no purpose so i thought i might as well go back to Marquet. he beckoned to the keepers to approach and then turning to me said well and the bullet i cannot find it i have been luckier than you then for i have found it what you found it right about and come behind me i did as i was told and the huntsmen having come up Marquet pointed out a line to them beyond which they were not to pass the keepers milday and moynat now joined us well said Marquet to them in their turn missed they both answered at once i saw you had missed him in the open but when he had reached covert missed him there too are you sure both the bullets have been found each of them in the trunk of a tree it is almost past belief said vatrin yes rejoined Marquet. it is almost past belief but i have something to show you which is even more difficult to believe show it us then look there what do you see on the snow the track of a wolf what of that and close to the mark of the right foot there what do you see a little hole well do you understand the keepers looked at each other in astonishment do you understand now repeated Marquet. the thing's impossible exclaimed the keepers nevertheless it is so and i will prove it to you and so saying Marquet plunged his hand into the snow felt about a moment or two and then with a cry of triumph pulled out a flattened bullet why that's my bullet i said you recognize it then of course i do you marked it for me and what mark did i put on it a cross you see sirs said Marquet. yes but explain how this happened this is it he could turn aside the ordinary bullets but he had no power over the youngsters which was marked with a cross it hit him in the shoulder i saw him make a movement as if to try and bite himself but 
i broke in astonished at the silence and amazement which had fallen on the keepers if my bullet hit him in the shoulder why did it not kill him because it was made neither of gold nor of silver my dear boy and because no bullets but those that are made of gold or silver can pierce the skin of the devil or kill those who have made a compact with him but moquet said the keepers shuddering do you really think think yes i do i could swear that we have had to do this morning with tybalt the sabot maker's wolf the huntsmen and keepers looked at one another two or three of them made the sign of the cross and they all appeared to share moquet's opinion and to know quite well what he meant by tybalt's wolf i alone knew nothing about it and therefore asked impatiently what is this wolf and who is this tybalt the sabot maker moquet hesitated before replying then ah to be sure he exclaimed the general told me that i might let you know about it when you were fifteen you are that age now are you not i am sixteen i replied with some pride well then my dear monsieur alexander tybalt the sabot maker's wolf is the devil you were asking me last night for a tale were you not yes come back home with me this morning then and i will tell you a tale and a fine one too the keepers and huntsmen shook hands with one another in silence and separated each going his own way i went back with moquet who then told me the tale which you shall now hear perhaps you will ask me why having heard it so long ago i have not told it before i can only answer you by saying it has remained hidden away in a drawer of my memory which has remained closed ever since and which i only opened again three days ago i would tell you what induced me to do this but you might i fear find the recital somewhat tedious and as it would take time i prefer starting at once upon my tale i say my tale i ought perhaps to call it moquet's tale but upon my word when you have been sitting on an egg for thirty-eight years you may be excused for coming to believe at last that you've laid it yourself end of the introduction recording by john van stan savannah georgia